Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Football Outsiders Radio Hour on Twitch.tv, also on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube after the fact. We broadcast in a lot of different places. Strangely enough, the place we do not broadcast is on the radio, even though we call it the Football Outsiders Radio Hour. As I always point out, the Football Outsiders Radio Hour is not on the radio, and it is not exactly an hour. Sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more. But we're always talking about football with the Football Outsiders crew. Today on the show, we've got Mike Tanier here. We've got Brian Knowles here. And we're going to talk a little bit later about the uh, 2021 Cleveland Browns, who are an exciting team and a team trying to fight off the legacy of losing. But first, we're going to talk about the legacy of losing, because Brian wrote a really sweet set of pieces for us a couple of weeks ago called the Anti-Dynasty Rankings. And we haven't had a chance to talk about those on the show at all. So we wanted to have Brian on to talk about the show and the Anti-Dynasty Rankings and, uh, you know, where teams stand and some of the fun stories that he dug up about the worst teams of all time. So hi, Brian. Hey, how's it going? I'm good. I am here. I'm ready to talk football. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Brian's here. We're talking anti dynasty. He's like the anti-monitor. The one who protects the, uh, the times and the multiverse from these terrible teams. You've got to keep, you've got to keep balance. I did all the, the best dynasties two off seasons ago. And this was the, everyone said, well, what about the other teams? I like the jump- idea of, of next year doing the most average teams in NFL history. <laughs> yes. That's, Jeff Fisher finally gets his due. And based on some of the things I've done, Chuck Knox would get his due. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to start right now, Brian. I'm going to hit you right off the spot. I'm going to ask you what your favorite story was uh, from all your research, but I'm going to take a hint beforehand. All right. Here's my hint. Here's my hint. Yes. Maybe you can talk about arson in the context of the (laughs) NFL. That's a fun time. Uh, We're talking here about the uh, mid 50, uh, the the early 50s Green Bay Packers. Everyone talks about uh, Curly Lambeau as this legend and this uh, super important figure in the history of Green Bay football. And that's all very true. The Packers were one of the best teams in the 20s and the 30s and even into the early 40s. No one ever likes talking about how uh, these great figures kind of end their tenure. You, 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 uh, you deify them a little bit. You name the stadium right. after them. But by the end of the 40s, Everyone in Green Bay was kind of getting fed up with Curly Lambeau. Uh, <laughs> one of the things he was big for in the 20s and 30s was his ability to go scouting. Famously, he went and convinced Don Hudson to play football and not go work on a farm or whatever the heck he was planning on doing. <laughs> By the mid 40s, those training, those scouting and training tips, trips were often ending up uh, in Malibu and Long Beach. <laughs> and he would come back less with good players and more with new suits and a good tan. Uh, so, uh, and the league was changing too, because the uh, Packers had all the success with a single wing in the Notre Dame box. But this was a time when the Bears are bringing in the T formation, which was just radically shifted the offensive viewpoint of the league in a way we've never seen before and probably will never see again. Uh, Lambeau didn't like it. Lambeau stuck with his box, stuck with the Notre Dame box for as long as he could. And bad results happened because the team just wasn't as good. One thing he did do that was uh, perhaps a bit forward thinking was he bought it was called Rock, uh, let me check this Rockford Lodge, which was this uh, this, tra- this 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 basically this big estate 
just outside of Green Bay, where there's going to be a full-time training facility, a full-time practice facility. Every team's got one of those now. This was a revolutionary idea in the uh, 40s and 50s. The problem was this was he got the most expensive property he could find, <laughs> and he, uh, he basically put all the fields down on a bed of limestone. So <laughs> the sharp, pointy rocks that you're practicing on for three hours a day turned out not to be the best possible playing surface. <laughs> And during all this time, you know, the Packers are still playing in Green Bay. They're, the league is getting bigger, and they're not. The stadium is only so large. The city is only so big. They're only making so much money. The Packers are getting more and more into debt. And as Hudson retires and as Cecil Isbell retires and Clark Hinkle leaves, the Packers are having some pretty significant financial difficulties because no one's coming to see their games. This is when they start playing uh, in Milwaukee on a semi-regular basis because they have a larger stadium and can just draw fans. But uh, Curly Lambeau has a solution. He's, he's got four investors who are going to pump $50,000 into the Packers and they're going to buy the team and they're probably going to move the team to Malibu, but he doesn't say that part. <laughs> and, and, and he gives his offers, this is the way to save the Packers. And the Packers ownership's counter response was, here's our counter response. No, you're fired. <laughs> so the Packers are still massively in debt and it looks like they're going to have to sell or something's going to have to happen. And then on January 20th, 1950, the Buckford Lodge mysteriously bursts into flames. Fortunately, no one is in the building at the time. <laughs> and even more fortunately, it happens to be insured for almost exactly the amount of money the Packers are in debt. It's an amazing coincidence. <laughs> and, and a mystery which has never been solved. <laughs> I'm sure they put their top men on figuring out what happened to Rockford yes, House. Yes. Very it's, best people. It's the biggest <laughs> arson story in NFL history, matched only by the time that Lisa Left Eye Lopez <laughs> burned down Andre Risen's house. Absolutely. <sighs> that was a great moment, too. <laughs> Not the arson Green so Bay, I, out, Green Bay attached. I think Risen was in Green Bay when that happened. Oh my goodness! Um, um, wasn't there another? Wasn't there another bonfire in that same edition? Did they set fire? To, it was the Broncos jerseys got set fire to the Brown yes. jerseys. Yes, because the Broncos, another team that in that top ten, they basically had no money because they weren't supposed to be a football team, and so they, they their nineteen sixty uh, season was basically find anything you can just to put a team on the field, and they dug up some awful brown and yellow jerseys from a defunct college all-star game and that, that was the broncos jerseys for the first three seasons and they had glorious terrible ho horrible brown yellow striped socks yeah and those that, those the ones that they set on fire like they saved like two <laughs> pairs and set one of the hall of fame that's and everything else was just burnt because they they, they brought those jerseys back uh it's been 10 years ago for the afl 50th anniversary celebrations and everyone yes. got to see how terrible they were once again yeah, right. they played the Patriots in those. And I remember Kyle Orton and uh, with the brown and yellow stripes. Right. Perfect guy for brown and yellow stripes, too. I can't believe our anti-dynasty rankings ranged far enough afield to get to the Continental Baseball League. Yes. Right. Right. It was the, thir the third baseball league that was supposed to start in the 60s and basically spurred baseball expansion because mm -hmm. baseball expanded into a number of the markets that the Continental Baseball League was supposed to take up, but not all of them. And one of them was Denver. Right. Yeah. Right. I you mean, talk the, about that. Go ahead. 
Yeah, that's that's the sixties for you. That's the NFL. Mm-hmm. So many teams in the, the anti dynasty league were existed just so the NFL could mess with the AFL. That's why the Cardinals finally got moved to St. Louis. That's why the yep. Cowboys were rushed into existence in nineteen sixty. The Cowboys mm-hmm. formed after the nineteen sixty draft for the nineteen sixty season just so they could block yeah the the, could block the Dallas Texans. Yeah, yeah. The, the Falcons were rushed into existence because the AFL announced they were going to expand probably to Atlanta and Philadelphia, and the NFL said, "No, you can't do that. We totally have a team in Atlanta." Uh, uh, it's, it's these guys over here. Just so much pettiness <laughs> in that decade. And There's so much money to be had because in a lot of those cases, these markets had emerged in the 40s, 50s, 60s. They had gotten huge. And also these the teams were still, as of the 50s, like baseball was still just all across the East Coast and in the Midwest. And football was like that too. So it's like, oh, we're not going to expand into Atlanta. We're not going to expand into the South and in the Midwest. Oh, someone else is going to do it. Now we need the money. I was going to say the Saints, I believe the Saints are a political thing, yeah, right? Really. Like they yeah. were going to challenge the um, the antitrust exemption after right. the AFL-NFL merger. Yep. And the NFL basically um, Gave a senator a bought, team. bought off Senator Boggs by giving a team to New Orleans. Yeah, yep. there'd always been there'd been talk about putting a team in New Orleans for, before that. But th- that was really the, the thing that pushed it over the top, you know, <laughs> to allow the merger to go through. And they wound up really high on the rankings of the anti-dynasties, right? The Aints. Yeah. Yes. What were they? Second, third, fourth? Fifth, actually. Because yeah. the problem with the problem with the Saints, the first, the first problem with the Saints is they were terrible. But the second problem <laughs> with the Saints is that they weren't terrible for quite long enough. There are a lot of near misses near the mm-hmm. end of the Saints run. Uh, 1979, I believe, Archie Manning was so good he actually got the MVP from the Sporting mm-hmm. News, but, st- but still. And they would have they would have gone nine and seven except they lost two games to the Falcons after having leads in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next year, they were, they were about to have a winning record, and they were up, I believe it was 35 to 14 on the Raiders. They lost that game 45 to 35. Uh, they only missed the playoffs in 1982 in the strike season on like the sixth tiebreaker in a convoluted series of things. Right. So while they didn't have a winning record for 20 years, and I would, that's bad, uh, they, they were so often just short. And when you're trying to, and when you're comparing yourself to the worst teams of all time, if you're loading yourself up with empty seven and nine and six and ten seasons, you're just not going to st- stack up to the rest. And when you, and when they thought they were one player away, I guess it was '79 or '80. Who did they draft? I'm trying to remember who, who you're referring to. Here. Stop losing all those really close games. Was that when they drafted Russ Exelben? Yes, yes, that was the, the <laughs> kicker punter, right? Yeah, them with overall pick. He was going to, he was going to kick. He was going to punt. He was going to be great. He was a ter- he ended up being a table kicker and an okay punter, right? And but he was like a straight he was a straight ahead kicker too. He yeah. was like an all time legend in college. He really was, a, but like a straight ahead kicker from a time. I think they were still kicking field goals off tees. Uh, in and in, in, in college at the very least, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was it was, that was one of their their shining moments of that year. But I remember the ants. I remember the bags and everything oh. like that. But well, like the, the, the story always was, yeah. But Archie Manning's good, and he was. But yeah, that team was a mess. Russ Exelben is an amazing story, by the way, because not only was he the 11th overall pick in 1979, mm-hmm. he has gone to prison for financial crimes twice. Wow. <laughs> wow. Is it like, I, I, invest with me. I'm a former punter and kicker. Like, I, I'm trying to figure out what that pitch is. Mail fraud, money laundering. Oh my God. Uh, securities fraud and then arrested again related to a Ponzi scheme, pled guilty for charges of wire fraud and money laundering. That's a lot. That's a lot. And he wasn't in the Browns front office working with Jimmy Haslam and all that. Nope. So, yep. 
but who was in the, in the Saints front office was a former astronaut. They brought in an astronaut yes. to be the general manager in the Saints yes. because landing on the moon is hard and <laughs> building a football team is hard. So, so if I, you could do one, then yeah. you can certainly do the other one. It's I mean, like nobody could do a hard thing. So some of the things you would hear about general managers, and you have some of them in the stories there, like the 60s or 70s general manager rose up from the PR department right. or, or communications department or was an astronaut. I mean, Al Davis literally did come up from the mail room into coaching and wound up owning a team in the course of like four or five years. But you can imagine him doing some weird like empire type stuff to do it. A lot of these other guys are just you know, gra- grab a guy in a suit. Put him in charge of the team. The Vikings had a guy like that. I, I, I'm blanking on it, but there were a lot of cases where it wasn't like, oh, you're deputy GM for four years and director of scouting for two years. It was just, you're, you're a nephew, go, you know? Varying levels of professionalism is kind of the overarching theme throughout the anti-dynasty <laughs> rankings. Now, the, 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 the teams that figured out that this was a business and it needed to be run in certain ways had success. And the teams that didn't, ended up in the anti-dynasty rankings speaking of which the 1991 to 2002 Bengals, well yeah a lot, a lot oh, of the teams before that oh they well they didn't really have a scouting department they were using old right. almanacs and street and smiths and whatnot and yeah. peering over each other's shoulders at, at the draft and stuff like that yeah. you would think well by the 90s that's that's all that's all done that's mm-hmm. that's over with but no the Bengals had had officially one scout <laughs> Yeah, very busy, very busy individual, very tired. The other amazing story, I think, from the anti-dynasty rankings that couldn't happen today. And you and you and you ask yourself what like what would the Twitter reaction be if it happened today is when the Steelers and Eagles just traded franchises. Yes. (laughs) And the Steelers just went to Philadelphia and became the Eagles and the Eagles essentially went to Pittsburgh and became the Steelers. Yes. The, The this is the 30s. In the 1920s, if you had a Sandlot team and you became a pro team, you could make that work. Yes. That, that wasn't really the case in the 30s. By the, by the 30s, uh, the, the Giants, the Packers, and the Bears had basically, if you were a college football player of any distinction, you went to the Giants, the Packers, the Bears. Right. And if you slipped through those cracks, then the, the Lions or the Cleveland Rams or Boston would pick you up. So when the Eagles and Steelers both were founded in 1933, because that's the year Pennsylvania got, uh, loosened up their blue loss to allow teams to play on Sunday, they just couldn't get players. The Eagles were basically, if you went to Penn or if you went to mm-hmm. Temple or if you went to Villanova and you don't really want to get a real job yet, you can come and play for the Eagles for three years. <laughs> yep, that was it. And the Steelers, literally, they, they had part-time coaches. They had uh, uh, Aldo Janelli was the coach at Dickensie. And they said, hey, would you like to also coach the Steelers while this is going on? And he did for five games. He would, co- he would come in and practice the Steelers in the morning, practice the, his college team in the afternoon. Just a complete lack of professionalism. One of the just Johnny Blood missed a game because he forgot they had it. He was watching a game of the Rose Bowl when he saw the Steelers score up on the uh, up on the other scoreboard. You know, this oh, is gonna be the yeah. Way. Wasn't I supposed to be somewhere else today? I feel like I'm missing something. This is the way out for the Jaguars and the Texans, though. I think they just switch franchises Absolutely. right now. Take the Texans in the middle of the night, put them wherever Saheed wants to put them, and then McNair can mess around with uh, uh, so, you know with, with with the Jaguars instead. It's almost as good as the time those two pitchers from the Yankees traded wives, yes. but not quite. Ooh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's one. That would be fun on Twitter if that happened today. <laughs> if everybody's cool with it, it's none of our business. Oh, but it would be. It would be everything. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I, I don't know. None of my business. There's, there's no none of my business on Twitter. It's everything is everybody's <laughs> business. 
Well, imagine they should be sponsored Twitter today if that the Eagles and Steelers said, we're going to become, we're going to merge. We're going to become the Pennsylvania Keystoners because the plan wasn't for the Eagles and Steelers to swap teams. The plan was because uh, because Boston had just moved to Washington, opening up a, a spot there, and Alexis Thompson wanted to move a team to Boston, and so he approached uh, Bert Bell, who owned the Eagles at the time. Uh, Bert Bell uh, had a co-owner named Blood Ray who had left at that point in time, so Bell was left with his entire bag, and said, "Hey, I would like to buy your football team and move them to Boston." And Bert Bell said, "No, I enjoy holding a football team too much." But have you talked to my friend Art Rooney? He, because Art Rooney was, was his team was terrible, and his, it was basically only being kept afloat because he had a successful uh, boxing league and yeah, a success, well, yeah. successful horse racing things. And Rooney was concerned. The story is now. I wonder how much this is back. You know, but looking back, he was concerned about what was going on in Europe and realized that if a draft happens, he's not going to be able to have any players anymore. So he wants he wants to like loosen his liability. So he agrees to sell uh, the Steelers to uh, Alexis Thompson who are going to be moved and become the Boston Ironmen. That's who they're going to be. And he's going to take that money and buy half of the Eagles. So he has to have a football team. Right. And then the Eagles will, and then the Eagles will be renamed to the Pennsylvania Keystoners and play half the games in Pittsburgh and half the games in Philadelphia. Ugh. Yeah, that's going to get a lot of excitement. In, in Pennsylvania, especially in the 20s and 30s, when there, I don't think there was a turnpike yet, so getting across was – it's not like fans could follow them back and forth. Exactly. But he still won't allow his players. So they held a draft. There's a 1940 draft with just the Steelers and Eagles where they just draft each other's players and like reshuffle the teams around because Art Rooney didn't want to lose all of his players. Sure. He wanted to, he didn't want to lose Pittsburgh. He didn't want to lose his players. Just wanted to not have so much like financial liability. I, NFL, will, I, yeah. I will say this is one that I could imagine happening today. Like it's only been a few years since we had the new Orleans slash Oklahoma city Hornets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was that suggestion that somebody made that the Tampa Bay Rays should play half their games in Montreal. I mean, you want to talk about two cities that have nothing to do with each other? (laughs) Tampa and Montreal. So, like, I could imagine a team sharing two cities, even in modern times. That I could imagine today. Not not merging. There's not going to be any mergers. But I could imagine a team sharing two cities. What, what I found amazing about the rankings is you talk about these stories. There are stories about the Dayton Triangles and stuff. And yet at the top of the rankings, the worst teams, most of them were recent. Like you would think with all these shenanigans and the owner was also the coach and like we're just doing a back channel draft, you know, in the other room, that these would be the worst teams in history. And yet you come back and the worst teams in history are the Browns of recent times, and the Jets of recent times. Part of the reason is that if you were really, really bad in the 20s and 30s, you went out of business. You right. can't have 10 or 20 years of bad play in the 20s because if you're that terrible, people are going to stop coming and you're not going to have a team anymore. Right. So all, the, all those teams are the teams that were successful enough to be bad for six, seven, eight years. Right. Big, big Harry Andy, by the way, picks, points out that the classic two-city team now is the London Duval Jaguars. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah no i mean to be a 20-year terrible team like the top five teams in the anti-dynasty rankings you really did have to be a recent team like the only one that that breaks in there is the cardinals the cardinals are just amazing Mm -hmm. that they've got two teams in the anti-dynasty top four right Uh, by average dvoa or estimated dvoa they're the second worst team in nfl history and the worst is Tampa Bay, and Tampa Bay has played 56 fewer years than the Cardinals have. <laughs> Tampa Bay has also won two Super Bowls in the last 20 years, yeah. so it's, so it's right. a little less painful to think about their history. Right. 
the Cardinals, you know, they they have no entries in the dynasty leagues uh, as well from 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 last from the two years ago article. So you can sum up all the history of the good Cardinals seasons in about thirty seconds. They had the stolen nineteen twenty five championship. They went to back to back NFL titles in forty seven and forty eight behind yep. the million dollar backfield. They had a few good seasons with Jim Hart in St Louis. Yep. They had a couple yep. good Kurt Warner seasons. They had a couple good Carson Palmer seasons. That's it. That is the history of the competitive Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god well were you surprised that the browns wound up at the, at the top i was i was surprised they were number one i was not surprised they hit at the top because i, I watched the browns for the past 20 years and but to get them it's weird because i had both the, in the dynasty rankings the patriots were number one and then and then in the uh, anti-dynasty rankings the browns are number one so i worried do I have some kind of modern bias in this? Am I not giving uh, due credit to all these terrible teams from the 60s and 70s? Right. No, no, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I'm, I'm giving proper credit where credit is due. The Browns kind of combine the worst of all these other teams and talk about it, they synthesize it into one terrible, ever-changing. It's, it's a, it's a, it's fractal. There's all, you can always just dive in and find it's worse and worse the closer you zoom in. I mean, change. we, we even nerfed them a little bit because we were worried that people would see the Browns 95 to 2019 and be like, well, they wouldn't be number one if you didn't include the last season of the first edition of the Browns. So we made you yeah. do 99 to 2019 only, and right. they're still number one, even <laughs> if you start them in 1999. I like the fractal concept there because I've, I've had to write about the Browns a lot over the years. And when I start researching them, because like it's hard to keep track. Okay, when was the ownership change? You know, when did they switch from this GM to that GM and Farmer and Savage and all these? And and it is you like you look at the at the crystal and you see another crystal inside, and you pull it closer and you see another problem. You pull into that problem and you see another problem. That really is the Browns of the last twenty years. So, it's, no, go ahead, Brian. It's just kind of an amazing it seems impossible to be that incompetent for so long. And part of it is that they just never could click up. This is our plan. This is who we are. We're going to be an analytics based team, or we're going to be, you know, a tough defensive team, or we're going to have this great offensive team. They just, they, they never had a plan for more than two or three seasons at a time. And when, when you, when you are constantly shifting ideas and your foundation over and over again, you have no chance of building a success. When they, when they first came back into existence in 99, like in the front office, they had a bunch of West Coast offense guys. And I forget, I don't have the name in front of me. And a bunch of University of Miami guys, which the University of Miami guys were a big thing. This was 99. Right. You know, Jimmy Johnson, uh, Butch Davis, that group. So right off the bat, there was that friction because that's really kind of two different building philosophies. They've had that same friction running for the last 20 some years. Like they never got out of the idea. It's like, well, we have two competing, uh, you know, storm fronts crashing into each other in the front office and, and having a power struggle. And I think they're just, they just got out of it. I guess in the year 2019 or 2020, 20. when they kind of put together this unified front of mostly analytics guys. Coral Skipper points out that all we need to know about the Browns is that the Derek Anderson season was the best season over the last 20 years. And that is true. It was 2007, the one year Derek Anderson was good. That is Cleveland's like best season. And missed the playoffs. Kellen Winslow Jr. I think that running back named Jones was there. Uh, Kevin Jones, maybe. No, Kevin maybe Jones was a Detroit he was, guy. He was a Detroit guy. Anyway, uh, yeah, they were a fun team, but they were like your basic 10 and 6 and doesn't make the playoffs team. 
Like there's one of those like every there was year. A Braylon that's Edwards, I believe. Braylon Edwards was their number yes. one receiver. Yes. That was Peyton Hillis, wasn't it? The, 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 his, his, no, his he's later. Of- Peyton oh, Hillis yeah. comes later. The ultimate fan favorite. All these Browns players just meld into each other. So we've got a graphic of uh, the teams from anti-dynasty that are still going. I believe that based on the rules of how you did the anti-dynasty, the Browns are technically not over yet. They're not out of the woods yet. You need, uh, it's complicated, but the short version is you need back-to-back winning seasons to just confirm that it's, o- that it's over. Because anyone right. can have a random nine and seven, nine and eight season and whatnot going right. forward. And you want to have, make sure that, that it's, you actually over and it's not just some kind of fluke. And so the Browns need to repeat their success in 2021 to officially be closed. If it's eight and eight, is it closed? Is their anti-dynasty closed if they go? Uh, well, I guess they won't go eight and eight. Yeah, this eight, year, eight so. and one. Yeah, eight, eight uh, and one. Right. But, so basically, if they go eight and nine or worse, the anti-dynasty continues. Yes. Yeah, eight. And, you needed the rules were you needed a winning season. That's no longer an issue really with the 17 game season, which is fortunately. So eight and eight would have continued it, but no. Who else is still active? Is anybody else? I can't see the graphic. Anybody else uh, still active? Uh, the, the teams that are definitely active are the Jaguars from 2008 okay. to 2020 and the Jets starting in 2016. They're still active. Adam Gase pushed them over the line this last year. <laughs> and technically, uh, the Buccaneers, the way I had, I had the system, the Buccaneers are still active because from 2011 to 2019, they were terrible. And then they turned around and won the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've, that, that's never happened before. I've never had to make a ruling if a Super Bowl win should instantly end an anti-dynasty yeah i can it can be argued both ways let's make it now yes it should, it should. yeah i mean yeah i think the that the buccaneers anti-dynasty ended in 2019 i yeah. i would i would agree with that plus i mean what are the odds that they're gonna have a losing season again the last team to uh, have a losing season after winning the super bowl were the Tampa bay buccaneers in 2003 so <laughs> we'll see and they are in the football outsiders almanac 20, uh, 2021, which comes out next Monday. Football Outsiders Almanac comes out next Monday. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have the best projection in the league. They have the best DVOA projection and the third easiest schedule. Yeah, and that's probably not a coincidence, right? <laughs> well, I mean, the schedule thing is a little bit of a coincidence. I mean, not every team with a great projection has an easy schedule. Right. Green Bay's schedule comes out as really hard, for example. Right, but yeah, I mean, they're exceptional case anyway but but atlanta you know trading julio yeah. jones and new orleans losing drew Brees, and carolina doesn't you know we were not big sam Darnold believers and then i don't remember tampa bay's schedule and who are the other divisions that they play but it ends right. up being one of the easiest schedules in the league right i'm just blown away by that projection i'm, I'm looking at it and it's i mean i understand it but i'm blown away about how much higher it is than everybody than else contenders. Yeah. Because it's because it combines the easy schedule with the highest DVOA. Wow. Wow. The other the other teams like Baltimore and Kansas City don't have a right. schedule that is as easy. And the Come teams on. that have schedules as easy, like New England, are nowhere near Tampa Bay in their yeah. DVOA projections. So we've got another graphic of teams that could enter the anti-dynasty. Right. <laughs> depending on what they do this year. And it matters how many wins you have in a season, right? Right. You know, if, yeah, you get more points for the worse you do. So a 7-10 and 10 season doesn't carry as much weight as if you go 2-15 and 15 or something. So there are two teams out there which, if they go 7-10 or worse, would, be, would qualify for the Dynasty rankings. They are the New York Giants 
and they are the uh, demographic and the Cincinnati Bengals. Yes. So they've got to avoid double digit losses to uh, avoid getting the rankings. I ran, I ran a poll on this when, uh, when the Giants' rankings were coming out, and the most fans seem to think the Giants are going to be okay. They're not quite so sure about the Bengals. <laughs> the Giants are the more interesting team, I think. Yeah. Oh, the Bengals, once again, stinking it up for a couple of years. We're okay with that. The Giants, I mean, I know how bad they've been the last couple of years. I'm up there somewhat frequently. It seems like only yesterday that they were still considered playoff caliber, well-run organization, et cetera. I, I would like to point out these are both chapters that Mike wrote in this year's book. Yes. So I act like I don't know what I'm talking about. It's because I have selective amnesia. And I was blown away by our brief foray into wife swapping a couple of minutes ago. <laughs> it kind of threw me off. I mean, I was, I was ready for arson, but not wife swapping. Uh, so, yeah, the Giants and the Bengals definitely could qualify for the anti-dynasty rankings. And the Giants, like... I mean, it's been a bad. The interesting thing is, it doesn't feel like one, like one run. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. Giants, you have the last years of Eli Manning, and then the Daniel Jones years, and those are really feel like two separate teams, yeah. I think. And the Bengals, I think the same. You have the the last years of Andy Dalton, and the Joe Burrow run also feels like two separate teams. But if, if they continue, they'll start, they'll start to feel the same thing because it'll be, well, what, how long does it take the Giants to find a replacement for Eli Manning? How long does it take the Bengals to find the replacement for Andy Dalton? Such, such an iconic figure to try to replace. But the longer <laughs> you struggle to replace these guys, the more like, oh, this is why they're here. And there bring is back, like the Coughlin. I said, bring back the graphic. We want to bring back the graphic because yeah. we've got other teams on the list. Okay. But yeah, it's like in the end of the Coughlin era with the Coughlin era and the end of the Manning era. And this, like when you tell the story about the, the, the legend who hung out this many years too long, this many years too long, you get that. And then you roll into, and in here we brought, and we brought back Gettleman, who was one of the guys, who was the buddies of Coughlin. You can see that melting into one big story of failure as the, if the years continue like this. I, I don't think there's one team that could, uh, left that could qualify this year that I could totally see doing it. And that is if the Lions go two and 15 or worse. Yeah. yeah the other teams are basically if the bottom falls out, you have some two and 15, some one and 16, some 0 and 17 teams. If they have an absolute disaster of a year, they could qualify. And yeah, I could, I could, if you told me the Lions were to go two and 15, I'd be mildly surprised because that, that's a hard record to go. Yeah. But I wouldn't be shocked. <laughs> no, I wouldn't be shocked. I would feel like, well, I guess the Dan Campbell thing didn't work, did it? Like, <laughs> you know, but that's like the low, that's like the low bound of what they could realistically do this year. Whereas the Broncos are not going two and 15 with that defense. The Cardinals right. are. Cardinals will not go one and 16. Nobody is going. Oh, I mean, I, you just can't put your money on anybody going. Oh, and 17, obviously, even though it's possible, it could happen. Yeah. It's you, very unlikely. Well, when you make Brian do his all slightly below average dynasties, the yes. of this West, yeah. How, how to remain seven and nine ish forever. And of course, Jeff Fisher, exactly. I think these Broncos will also be in there. But I'm curious to find out what teams from the 50s and 60s were just as mediocre over a period. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I, I, th that will drive the clicks, I'm sure. <laughs> like, let's talk about the 1950s Washington. They were eight and eight every year. All right. Well, no, but at that six point, they were, Washington was yeah, terrible at that six. point in time. That oh, was shoot. the 12-game seasons, yeah. <laughs> That was back when they had like 12 games with like six preseason games, which I can't even, I mean, yeah. 
well, th- th- that's crazy. But also, like in 1925, the Bears played 29 games in four months. Yeah. They had a stretch where they played eight games in 11 days. Player right. safety wasn't invented until the 1950s or so, and even then, invented. Right. And, and it was such a different world back then. You'll hear stories about, like, the coach going to the local Rotary Club with the, the, the film, you know, the canister of film of the highlights that they would show. And that's how they were selling season tickets. I mean, this was so close to the ground. It'd be like, like a local rugby team. Like, hey, you know, Kiwanis Club, you guys want to buy some tickets and, you know, yeah. spend the Sunday afternoon watching these games and things like that. That's what they had to do. So, yeah, those preseason games were like a big deal, just like training camp. You're talking about Curly Lambo using as a way to exercise. Yeah. It was that, but it was a way to sell it in these other markets yeah. along the way. Like go out into the sticks, go out into Latrobe and, and to Cortland, New York, and all these other places, and try to get excitement about this team that's nearby in the region, Fort Banis, and these other towns. Well, to remind everybody, you're watching the Football Outsiders Radio Hour tr- uh, Twitch stream on Twitch.tv/fboutsiders, or you may be listening to us on your favorite podcast app. So thank you for viewing. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to come watch us live on Twitch at 1 p.m. Eastern every Thursday, 10 a.m. Pacific, because then you get to talk to us in the chat room and yep. we get to interact with you and we get to talk about what you're talking about. Uh, when we decided we were going to do the anti-dynasties, that sort of naturally brought us to the next topic, which is a really hot topic right now. I know, Mike, you said you watched some of the sports morning shows this morning, and this is what they were talking about, which is the Cleveland Browns of 2021, now that they're out of the anti-dynasty sticks, like who should they pay? Because right. they have Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, Denzel Ward, and Wyatt Teller all basically coming up for extensions very soon. Yeah, and really the talk is, it's apparently Baker Mayfield contract week here, uh, you know, our, our great friends at ESPN and elsewhere, they've decided Baker Mayfield is the contract to talk about. And, and yeah, I, saw, I heard, you, you know, Mike Tannenbaum weighing in. I heard Ross Tucker weighing in. I've been asked about it on radio stations. And, you know, there's, there's so many variables. I don't know which way you want to go with this, but like there's this, maybe we shouldn't pay Baker Mayfield conversation, which is a great conversation to have theoretically with someone else's money and someone else's legacy and someone else's success. And is not the kind of conversation you're going to be having you know, in Berea, uh, uh, Ohio. Um, but the more interesting question is how do you structure Mayfield? When do you pay him? Do you leap on it now? Do you wait until Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson puts a precedent in front of you? And once you do that, then how do you turn around and how do you pay Teller? And what do you do with Nick Chubb right now? If you're an analytics based team, and you've got a running back who's playing very well, but you've also already paid his backup. How do you fit that into it? And how, how do you do this? So some a fascinating game. If, if you get past the, well, I think Baker Mayfield's mediocre, so you don't pay him. Or I think he came of age in the last six games when he rolled out and threw short passes to Jarvis Landry. So, you know, make him a, a gazillionaire. If you get past that, there's a lot to talk about, about how you structure this team moving forward so you can continue success. Something that, as we just said, Browns have never really done. The problem is you don't want to pay Baker Mayfield the toppest of the top dollar. Yeah. But, but. <laughs> that's how it always comes out. It's whoever yeah. is the next person to get the contract gets the most money. Right. I think based on that, that it would be wisest to try to sign him before they get to Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, right. because you don't want him saying, well, they gave Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen this, I deserve the same amount of money. Like since every contract tends to top the next one, 
you 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 want to go first. Yeah, and we did that here in Philly with Carson Wentz. And two years later, we're moving on. So, like, part of me says, I want to wait. And if in my heart of hearts in Cleveland, I want to wait and see Baker, the product on the field a little bit this year to see if we're really seeing the gains we saw last year. Because Carson Wentz, we would have talked, it's a no-brainer. Look, you beat Dak Prescott in. He's the quarterback of the future. I don't know if Mayfield made that significant a stride. I don't know where his mindset is on a day-to-day basis. It was only a year or two ago where the story about him was his latest beef with Colin Coward, his latest beef with Tony Grossi. It wasn't about anything successful he was doing on the field. And we went through this with Carson around here where it's like, oh, where's his mind at this week? Where's his mind at this year? Where's his confidence level? Oh, it's, you know, it's in the dumpster behind the, behind the stadium here. So I, I understand wanting to just yeah, get in. Don't let Lamar set the market. Don't let Allen set the market. The flip side of that is maybe if you wait a while, maybe you can get a discount. I hate to think, I, I, I don't see a scenario where you're just like, well, we can, we're just going to turn the page on Baker Mayfield. Because but, then what do you do? Like what's, right. this is the same problem that Dallas had in the past with Romo and then with Prescott, right? Where right. people were like, don't pay them. They're not top quarterbacks. And then, right. okay, that's fine. Sure. And I can disagree with you. Uh, but even if we assume that they're not top quarterbacks, right. what do you replace them with? Because the Browns are very likely not going to be in position to take a top quarterback in the draft for the next year, at least. Right. So like you replace them with whatever the equivalent of Andy Dalton or Cam Newton is like right. you know, t- two years from now, that's Kirk Cousins. I don't know who, who becomes the, like right. the starter who's over the hill. Right. The Jimmy I don't Garoppolo. know. <laughs> Yeah, Garoppolo, so, probably. Yeah, yeah, there you go. It, 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 it is a tricky question. One thing, I was just on Buffalo Radio, and Josh Allen, there's mumblings that he wants a sort of a Mahomes-shaped deal. I mean, obviously, everyone wants a Mahomes-sized deal. But, like, Josh Allen is talking about, you know, six, seven, eight-year type of thing. And that's interesting because, like, if there are different shapes and sizes of these contracts along the way, then you can look at that and say, okay, Oh, you, this guy's getting all this deferred money. Well, Dak Prescott isn't. So I don't know if there's some way you can somewhat like for Kirk, uh, Kirk Cousins might be an example there where it started out of that three-year contract. Maybe if you say, gosh, I don't know, Baker, here's a three-year contract with a ton of money right up in front of it. Cause we have all this spillover from year to year to year. And that's different from Josh Allen because Josh Allen's so happy in Buffalo. He took his money in 2027 because he loves the city so much and you can possibly play ball there. I don't know if that's really realistic, but I would be looking for some of these things rather than just after Goff, after Wentz, just saying, here's money, here's money, here's money. Here, here's the thing. If you're Mayfield, you would probably want to do that three-year contract because yeah. you're betting on yourself that you're going to be really good over the next three years and get another big payday. Right, right. And I'm betting, I'm trying to pull up Cleveland right now while we speak at our good friends at OTC over the cap.com and look at their cap space. There's a little bit this year. There's a little bit next year. There'll be more right now. Nobody's showing any cap space because there's all this like COVID stuff still in there. There's probably ways you can put a lot of money in front for Mayfield, like upfront the money that I don't think the bills can necessarily do. I know the Ravens can't do because they're always right up against the cap. And you can say, yeah, bet on yourself for a couple of years. And at the same time, you're saying we have an out. If in two years, we're not completely satisfied. We eat a year and go. Another thing, whenever the new TV deals are coming in. So if you're Baker Mayfield, you might want to have your next deal, your next deal come up as all that new television money is coming in. Right. You're going to get the same percentage of the cap, but if the cap is three times as big, you know. Right. And, and that's what, when, when the uh, Nate Gary over in uh, uh, the Bills station was like, they're talking about him wanting a Mahomes-shaped deal. It's like, 
Call him now. Jump on that now. Give Joshua all this deferred. Take all the deferred money you want, buddy, because you know the, the the boat's rising up anyway. And it's always better to pay tomorrow, especially like the logic is, oh, we can keep this nucleus intact. Yeah, that's fine. That's great. You're being a great teammate. And you're like, <laughs> we're saving money in 2024 because no, no matter what number we put in front of him, just like Mahomes, it's going to look kind of small in a couple of years. Bill Houston asks, where do the three of us rate Mayfield as a quarterback? I would say somewhere between 10 and 15. And I'm not sure I would even put him that high. Looking at last year's passing DYAR numbers, here are the quarterbacks who were above Mayfield last year. Hmm. And see if you agree with me that these quarterbacks are better than him. Mahomes, Rodgers, Brady, Allen, and we should still count Watson despite his legal Yes, problems. yes, yes, yes. Okay? Tannehill. Yeah. Carr. Yeah. Herbert. Yeah. I mean, okay. Carr has consistency yeah. right. that, that Mayfield doesn't have. And Cousins. Cousins does too. And Matt Ryan. That's 10 guys. Okay. Russell Wilson. Yeah. Now let's skip guys who've retired. But we've got 11 guys right now that I would say are better than Mayfield. Stafford. Yeah. You are paying for potential with some of these guys like Stafford and Ryan. You're paying for the potential to get better. And I'm Prescott. Prescott. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. And Lamar Jackson. Yeah, they're that better. Put, that would put Mayfield 15th before we even argue about whether he's better than Kyler Murray oh, or Joe Lawrence <laughs> or any of this year's rookies. Yeah. Yeah. Mayfield is, is high is high watermark as a rookie. He had he was 14th in DVOA at 8.1%. He's never been, he's never hit the top. He's he's hit top, he said 14th once. And that that feels about right to me, to be honest. That seems like that's where he is. He's got he, potential to move forward. Yeah. And, and what we saw in the second half of last year, the, the offensive line is phenomenal. The system was good. I, I hate using the term game manager because it ticks people up, but it was like it, there was game managery elements of that. Like, there's a lot of positives to being a game manager, especially when you were a guy who had to deal with Hugh Jackson and was screaming at Tony Grossi not that long ago. But there's like there's a lot of projection to be done to say that he's up in this class above it. So, yeah, I would, I would put him above Cousins based on the fact that he's moving up in the world. I put him above Ryan at this point based on that, but it's still, you're right. If I get him to 11th, I think that's an accomplishment right there. That's why it's like, Hey, you know what? you got him on this year in the fifth year option. Maybe you have to spend a couple more million dollars down the road or whatever. Wait and see a little bit, because if there's a chance he's got a, he's got a ceiling that might be higher. He's got a floor. We know Baker Mayfield's got a floor and that floor is, uh, you know, a meltdown on Instagram. Wait and see what we're getting right now because I, get, I keep going back to Carson Wentz. We saw a floor that we didn't know was there. And maybe the people in the building should have known was there when they were working with him on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, although I don't think you can, you know, just like you can't go into anything expecting a Josh Allen to happen again, right. I don't think you can go into anything expecting Carson Wentz no, no. this last year to happen again. It, d- declines like that are going to be so unbelievably rare. Uh, I would be more worried that Mayfield is really the guy he was in 2019 when he was 25th in passing DYAR. Not right. that he's not that he's 35th, but even that he's right. like 25th or 20, even 20th. You don't want to pay him like as a top five quarterback if he's the 20th best quarterback in the game. Right, right. And that's where trying to come up with a short contract or a unique contract, basing it off of Tannehill's maybe, basing it off of Cousins as, as opposed, if you can find a way to do that, because his agent's going to hang the phone up on you. But if you can find a way to do that, you do it. 
the, the question of Chubb is a more interesting one because of the analytics in the front office for Cleveland and the fact that they're going to have to decide about paying other people. Like Chubb is a very special running back, right? Yes. If you ask like, what can running backs themselves control? I think the main things that they control is their explosiveness and their broken tackles. Right. And Chubb is awesome at broken tackles. Yep. Right. He led the NFL in broken tackle rate 27% last year. He led the NFL in 3.69 average yards after contact. And the other thing is ability as a receiver. He doesn't bring anything there. Pass blocking, I don't think he's a big plus or minus there. Right. But I think when you have to pay Wyatt Teller and Denzel Ward and you're an analytics-oriented front office, mm-hmm. you let the running back walk. Yeah, you can't be the best everywhere. You can't pay everything the best. And it's just... As sad as it is to say, it's easier to find decent quality running backs. They already have Kareem Hunt as a decent quality running back, and you can find these guys. Right. So, and again, it's hard to say. And I'm looking at some of the more recent contracts. I'm looking at Aaron Jones's contract. Yeah. There's, there's smarter shapes nowadays, though. I mean, it's here's pack the money into the front of it and put options on the end of it. And I, I can see saying, oh, Nick Chubb, yeah, we've got this window of two years where we think you're still going to be crushing it and whatever throw all that money at him like at the in that thing and then put options at the end of it that you don't think he's going to reach. And that's great to say. And then we say, well, we just said Baker Mayfield, we should give him three years up front or whatever. He can't do all of these things at once and you have to prioritize. And yeah, I would probably prioritize the quarterback in front of the, I would certainly prioritize the quarterback in front of the running back. And I'm not sure where I would prioritize somebody who looks like he's the second or third best guard in the NFL. I don't know how to approach that. And yet that's what they're looking at too at Teller. Right, and who's a top corner, like not a, the best corner in the league, but Denzel right. Ward is a number one. He is a number one corner. Yes, yes. And you, and you can't say we're going to build through the draft, build through the draft, get extra first-round picks, and then be like, oh, but we don't have a plan. If all of them get good, we can't pay them all. Like, you have to, like, have, somebody's got to be these infrastructure guys. And that's, that's, what, that's what the Browns are coming up with, not so much this year, but in the years to come as they try to sustain the success. So how do you do it? How do we do it? How do we fix the Browns here? I, I think, I mean, here, here's the thing. We're, people are going to get the book on Monday and they're going to be yeah. shocked at the projection for the Browns. Yeah. Jesus. Because, because the Browns come out as average. Yep. And people see the end of last year and they see some of the people that they added in the offseason and getting Odell Beckham back. And suddenly people believe the Browns are Super Bowl contenders. And I guess if you look at 11 and five and you add some players, that yep. sounds good. If you ignore, number one, the players they lost, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like Sheldon Richardson and Olivier Vernon, right. and two, you ignore the underlying stats, the fact that this is a team that had below average DVOA, that was outscored yeah. by its opponents, and yes, a lot of that is packed into two blowouts where they lost to the Steelers and Ravens early in the season, Right. but... I went back and looked and there's no indication that that means we should give them a higher projection. And even if it's really the defense, that's the problem because they project to have a top 10 offense. Even if you take those two games out of last year's defensive ratings, their defensive projection would still be 23rd in the league. Yeah. Yeah. So I just don't, I listen, would I like for Cleveland to be a serious Super Bowl contender? Yes. Right. I love their analytic point of view. I love the fact that they have a former football outsiders writer, Andrew Healy in their front office. Yep. Like what I I would love to see Cleveland Brown fans happy 
because mm-hmm. I, I love it when teams that struggle for a long time turn things around and play well. Right. So would I like for Cleveland to be what everyone thinks they are? God, I would really enjoy it. I just, <laughs> I just don't see it as likely. Right. It's a tough division as well. Obviously a tough conference. Yeah, the Steelers are are underrated right now because people think the Steelers are going to have the worst offense in the league, and they're not. They're, they're going not. to have like the 23rd best offense in the league. Right. And we have them projected with the best defense. Their defense has been good and consistent. They're going to be last year's Washington. Yeah. Uh, last year's Washington with a great defense, and the entire passing game is how many passes directly to the sideline can you throw to your receivers and hope for some yak? That's what they're going to be. And that's, that's a 500 team. That's a team that like, that, that like winds up in the playoff chase. Right. That's a team that can beat the Browns, especially at home. Yeah. Right. Right. And the Steelers, again, I don't, I mean, I'd have to get in front of me the schedule, but looking at their schedule for next year, it comes out, I believe as the second hardest schedule in projected DVOA. Steelers? Uh, they play, they play the AFC West where we think Denver will be better. And of course, Kansas city is awesome. And in the NFC, they play the North where we think Minnesota will be better. And of course, green yeah. Bay is assuming Rogers is there. Green Bay is awesome. Don't, 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 uh, don't they play the West, the, uh, the AFC North this year. Am I, am I mistaken about that? The AFC North plays the, oh, a- I'm thinking the about a- the 17th game. No, you're, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. They're playing the AFC West and the NFC North. Yeah. And the 17th game is Seattle who we have is really good. I'm pulling up their schedule now. Oh, it's a horrible. I can't figure out this interface. This thing. The, whole, the whole AFC North has hard schedules by our numbers. Yes. Right. It looks like, am I reading our spreadsheet right? Are the Bears, though? The, no, not the, that's not the, the Bears. The Bears have the hardest projection. Yes. Well, that, that, may, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, because the, um, you know, they, they, they play the AFC North, where we think Pittsburgh is underrated and Cleveland is uh-huh average and and baltimore we have baltimore really high and then they play the nfc west which is a really good division obviously uh you know every every team in the nfc west comes out with at least eight mean wins in the projections i think so yeah we have chicago with the hardest schedule of the league and we have green bay like green bay is knocked down in their because of their schedule a little bit like even though they project to be one of the top teams Again, we're projecting them with Aaron Rodgers as the quarterback. <laughs> Emo Aaron Rodgers and his summer of mindfulness. Hey, I'm hoping. Listen, I, you know, I'm in the Scott Fishbowl, this big famous super fantasy league that's got like 1,200 teams in it and different conferences, whatever. I took Aaron Rodgers with my second round pick. So nice. Here's, here's to Aaron Rodgers playing. You're going to love him with Jerry Judy. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be, I mean, at least I, I don't care who he plays for. I just want Aaron Rodgers to play for somebody this year or that team is screwed. <laughs> it's a two QB. I mean, it's a super flex league, which right. in my mind means two quarterbacks. I always take two right. quarterbacks in a super flex league. I've done so much radio this week. I am so sick of talking about Aaron Rodgers. But I'm <laughs> sick of talking about how sick I am of talking about Aaron Rodgers. You know, that is basically what everything starts with. But I want to get back. I, I finally got the Browns schedule to load because the interfaces for the schedules on the websites are terrible this year. They start out at the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Eh, okay, so then you get the Texans. That's a W. Bears, tough game. At Vikings, tough game. At Chargers, tough game. Cardinals, Broncos, Steelers, at Bengals, at Patriots. This is a tricky schedule. You do it like the Lions come in at week 11. They've got a Ravens by Ravens 
Yeah. In the middle of there. So, so you go to Baltimore. Uh, then you get a week off to think about what you did. And then you host Baltimore. Yeah, that's I, a I, weird one. That is a weird one. I know, you know, like the home fans, like, oh, we're going to call that a split. And you can call that a split. In my brain, I can call it a split. That could also very easily be a sweep by the Ravens if they're the team that we think they are. And they end, actually, they end the season with the Bengals, but they got at Packers, at Steelers at the end of that. Hey, by, 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 by Christmas, Aaron Rodgers should have found his happy place one way or the other, right? And we'll know. And you could be facing, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers at the tail end of his, uh, his breakup sex with the Green Bay Packers. And you I don't want to be there for that. I'm trying to remember who it is, but there's one team this year that has a schedule where they go um, team, then another team, then the first team, then the second team. Like they go back and forth, like ding, 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 ding. I it, might can't... Be, it might be Ravens. It might be Ravens. I'll look it up because it was like this crazy thing with the Browns in the state. Oh, it's Washington. It's Washington. Oh, Washington in weeks 14 through 17 goes Dallas at Philadelphia at Dallas. Philadelphia. Wow. Their last five games are all in the NFC East because they play the, at the Giants in week 18. Right. Ryan Fitz is planning to have been benched by them. If he's, if he's, if he's the Ryan Fitzpatrick, we know well, then it'll be yes. Taylor Henneke will be the quarterback at that point. Yeah. And, and he'll be on the bench saying, God, it really sucks that I lost my job. Like <laughs> I don't have to deal with this part of the schedule. <laughs> Pay me next year. Uh, yeah. The, the, the Ravens do have a Brown Steelers Browns. I wasn't crazy though. Uh, so, I mean, that's a pretty rough little thing there. That's going to decide the whole NFC, AFC uh, North. Browns. I mean, our projections Browns. love the Ravens because the Ravens have been so good in DVOA the last two years. Yeah. Matt, Matt Noskow points out that the NFL does love to have an NFC East bloodbath at the end of every season. Yeah, you know that that last, you know that that last uh, Giants-Washington uh, game is going on uh, Sunday Night Football in that last week. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't, I don't think so. Cause I don't think it's going to actually be for any playoff position, but. Uh, but they like to have the possibility if it does and having the Eagles and the uh, Cowboys, if they can possibly make that work. But yeah, there's some weird schedule quirks this year. There's no question about it. Yeah. I'm looking at this Ravens. I, I, I saw it when it came out, Browns, Steelers, Browns, Packers. Woo. Yeah, they better be as good as we, as we think they are. Otherwise they're going to, that's going to be a rough run. Assuming that- Aaron Rodgers is back. Uh, you know, it's back in the saddle. That's the saving grace for the Browns and in that in Ravens by Ravens. They get the buy. The Ravens have to play the Steelers in between those two Browns matchups. Right, so, right, 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 right. They're at home with the popcorn watching that nonsense. Exactly. So hold on. we're looking at the Ravens schedule. Yes. yes, yes. And then they've got just a, they've got four road games in five weeks. <sighs> now, again, at- their road games usually are short trips. Yeah, at Miami. These are not necessarily. The first one isn't because it's at Miami in November. Okay. But at least the heat is gone by that point. Right. And then at Chicago. I mean, we've never found any we've never found any evidence that having yeah. two straight road games is a bad thing or three straight road games is a bad right. thing. But I'm just thinking of the player mindset. Like to go at Miami, at Chicago, then Cleveland, then at Pittsburgh, at Cleveland. Right. It feels like something that works like under the, the radar of what you're going to be able to too big data on, you know? Yeah. You can't find any data finding that it means anything, but I would just mm-hmm. think as a player, it would be frustrating. Now, I mean, the flip of that is they have four straight home games, right? The, the week five, starting with week five, they have Colts, Chargers, Bengals, bye week Vikings all at home. That's nice. That's nice. And usually the, the AFC North teams have the lowest travel miles. Again, I know there's no correlation with travel miles, 
Although sometimes as a gambler, no, there is. It's, it, it's you struggle a little bit if you have to travel a lot. Some people right. think that's part of why Seattle might have a slightly better home field advantage than other teams. Right. Right. And oftentimes it's the Chargers, and we're making you play on the East Coast at Miami at 9 30 in the morning, your time, et cetera. But the AFC North teams usually have the lowest travel miles because they're all so concentrated uh, in, in one place, or at least three of them are concentrated in one place. And that place is pretty central in the Midwest where they can bounce around to face a lot of opponents. And they're playing the NFC North this year, where the NFC North teams are also really concentrated. Yeah, yeah so. and close by. Short short flights. A lot of short flights. Excuse me. Um, so we're almost done here, so we can, can keep go, going through schedules, or we can do some voting in ESPN Let's 100. Vote. What do you guys think? All right. Let's vote. All right. This is what we were going to do with the end of the show. We keep I keep holding this on as the last thing in the show. So the way that ESPN's NFL rank is working for 2021 is that you have to vote for two players against each other who have nothing to do with each other and decide who's better. Excellent. And it's totally random, so there's no way to prepare for this whatsoever. So it's here like we go. New York, it's like the New York voting system. That's great. Yeah. You, you it's just, like we're... voting for New York mayor. <laughs> Who would you take? Garrett Bowles of the Broncos or Jason Kelsey of the Eagles? Oh, for heck. Oh, at least they're two linemen. Brian? Is, is it, are you talking just for this year? This is for 2021. Who Ooh. would you take? Yeah, because because if it's a long time, you're taking bulls, I think, because of, of the age. Right, and if it's the yeah. past, you're taking Kelsey. Exactly. Who would you take? So you got you got players going on different different uh, directions here. I bulls was much improved last yeah, year. I, right? he was struggled a lot his first couple of years. Yeah. I think I'm taking bulls because I believe in the improvement he had last year. I think that that that's, that was real. So I think he's going to keep uh, keep going up. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I'm going to take bulls. I I think that he's figured out the one job he really has, and he does it very very well. It's like having a big block of granite standing there at left tackle we'll go for that and i don't know how many years kelsey really has left. Here, here's another one here's this is going to be hard to compare ready jeremy chin of the panthers okay and ryan jensen of the buccaneers what all right that's definitely what? a fair competition um, yeah, how do you compare these two players but i will say like when i was doing my research for picking my all pros last year uh, people like brandon thorne were really over the moon about ryan jensen and how good mm-hmm. he was last year Right. And Chen's, a, uh, Chen's a, a good ball player, good young defender. Uh, I just, I don't know if I'm getting like a really strong opinion about this because it's such a random thing. Right. It's so, isn't it random? Like the way that you used to do this is we put numbers between one and a hundred next to every player and then turn that in. But uh, this year they changed it to this voting thing and it's very weird. Because they know people after like the first 15 guys are just like, yeah. 33, 34. I would just like run down because I've been asked to do that in the past. Like, whatever, you're 56 and you're 58. Like, like it's like this at least mm-hmm. forces you to like engage the brain a little bit. I, I, Chin had a good rookie season, a good all purpose type of guy. Let's go with Jensen. I'm yeah, gonna, I'm, 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 I'm with Jensen. All right. This one is easy, I think. And he, despite the, you know, how I feel about positional value, Alvin Kamara or Chase Roulier of Washington? <laughs> yeah, take Kamara all day on that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's stick with that. Uh, and here's another one that I think is is easy: Xavier Howard yes. or Chase or Chase Roulier. Why is Chase Roulier coming up? I don't know how we're getting. And I don't even know. The fulcrum. I don't know if if he uses the French pronunciation of his name or not. So <laughs> he, he's the central point around the entire rankings. We'll, we'll pivot around. Uh, I think Xavier yes. Howard is our winner there. Yes, I, I have not thought about Chase Roulier this much in my entire life as I have in the last three minutes. But yeah, we're, we're going to go with Xavier, please. 
Here's another easy one, I think. No disrespect to Leonard Williams, but Leonard Williams or TJ Watt? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. We'll take Watt all day there. And here's here's another hard one, because how do you compare these two players? Lyle Collins. Okay. And Eddie Jackson of the Bears. Oh, for God's sake. (laughs) That was hurt all off. (laughs) An offensive tackle or a safety? Who's better in 2021 of those two players? (laughs) An injured offensive tackle. Or a veteran safety. Uh, I'm going to go with Chase Rouley on this one. Now, um, <laughs> I, go, I go with the guy who's healthy. The best ability is availability. Uh, so we're going with Jackson. Go with Jackson? Uh, yeah, let's right go Jackson. Okay. Elton Jenkins of the Packers, guard from the Packers, or Ezekiel Elliott? Well, that's an interesting one. That I think I go Jenkins because yeah. Elliott, with the advanced numbers, he has just not been that good. He has not been as advertised in the NFL. He's not Nick Chubb. Like we talked earlier about how Nick Chubb does all these things that you want a running back to do that they control themselves, not their offensive line. Ezekiel Elliott is not breaking tackles like that and getting yards after contact like that. And he's fumbling. Yeah. And he's fumb- he had fumbling problems last year. Right. And right. Jenkins has positional versatility. They can move him around the line a little bit. And, yeah. You know, yeah, I, I, I like Jenkins. Here's another one that's impossible to do. Right. Taylor Lewin, Taylor oh, Lewin God. from the Titans, or Marcus May, safety from the Jets. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sake. Was Lewin hurt last year? Was Lewin hurt? Lewin was hurt for part of last year, yeah. Right, and it was a big deal because they had to go down to the third string. Hell of a player went healthy. So May wanna... hell of a player went healthy. So a, a best ability is availability. Go with Marcus May. I like May a lot in, uh, in, in, in the Jets' new defensive system going on there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm outside with May. I'm actually going to go with Lewin because I have no, I mean, evaluating a safety on a terrible team, you're oh, just yeah. going out there and just like sweeping up tackles and like, I, I even, I'm going to go with Lewin on that. I broke the tie and I went with Marcus May. Okay, fair enough. Here's another one that's hard because both these players are really good. Yeah. Chandler Jones. Yeah. Or DK Metcalf. Woo. Age versus beauty. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think with Jones, I think coming off an injury and being older, I mm-hmm. think you've got to go with Metcalf. Yeah, uh, just just the the odd the, the, there is a better than zero chance that Jones isn't just not never going to be the player he was again. I mean, I wouldn't bet on that, but that that possibility exists. So I think you got to go with Metcalf on that one. Are you with yeah. us, Mike? Yeah, let's go with Metcalf. Let's do a couple more of these. Matt Paradis, center from the Panthers, yeah. or Jamal Adams from the Seahawks. It seems to want to do a lot of offensive linemen versus safety. Yes, yes, and it loves centers, loves centers and guards. Uh, okay, but Jamal Adams is an edge rusher, right? Not a safety. <laughs> yeah, Jamal Adams is an interesting, right? Because the way they use him is interesting. Yeah, he's a big uh, Twitter banky too. Where everybody has to make a really strong take about how terrible he secretly is, or. How secret or how bad is. that well, how bad that trade was, not oh, necessarily right. how bad he is. If he's worth two first round draft picks, he's got to go first. But right? I don't think anybody <laughs> even really has an opinion about Matt Paradis. No, so I, I would go with Jamal Adams yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. When Paradis versus Rulia comes up, we'll, we'll have a death battle <laughs> until then. Okay, two players at the same position. Oh, Kenny Clark from the Packers. Okay. Or Jonathan Allen from Washington. Wow. I do not know the answer to this. Wow. Jonathan you know, Allen time... is better against the pass. Clark is better against the run, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I like Allen a lot. I like 
I didn't see that run defense get the hell gouged out on that. I know that was Patton to a great degree. I'm, I'm going I'm to go with Allen on this one. Yeah, I, that, that's Washington's strength. I like it. Uh, here's one that I think we'll agree on. Chandler Jones and Ezekiel Elliott. Poor Zeke. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really, I would rather have Chandler Jones. Yeah, me too. I, and eventually this becomes a top 100 at ESPN, right? Like right, eventually this... this becomes a top 100 at ESPN. Right, I'm very going... comfortable with the idea of a top 100 with no Ezekiel. I'm really comfortable. Yeah. yeah. So if he keeps at the bottom. Again, like I, I'm not saying no running backs in the top 100. You right. absolutely have to put Derrick Henry and Alvin Kamara and Nick right. Chubb and Dalvin Cook yep. in there. Um, ben Jones of the Titans center or Mickey Becton of the Jets. I love Becton. Becton, Becton was yeah, a I, good I think listen. especially looking forward to 2021, you'd want yeah. to go with Becton. Yeah. You hope at the very least. So, uh, so I don't know what the Jets are going to do with Becton. It's like watching be. Groot. It's like watching yeah. a Guardians of the Galaxy movie when he appears on the screen. I just love it too much. And so, all right. Yeah. These are these are fun. We'll do five more. Then, we'll, then we're going to call it a show. Okay. Here's a player we were talking about earlier. Wyatt Teller. Yeah. Or Tremaine Edmonds of the Bills. Or Teller. Yeah, Teller. Edmonds has not developed quite as as they've hoped. He's he's gotten better. Not who they hope. They they like centers and they like the all-purpose defender in this. I I wonder whether it's because the centers haven't gotten enough votes yet. That's almost that's almost certainly what is bringing the system is bringing them up so that we can rank the centers properly. You need need, need a sample size for these things. So Uh, yeah. Austin Eckler. Oh. Or Jason Verrett from the 49ers. Uh, well, Verrett's going to get hurt in three games once again. We, guys, we said Jason Verrett's name. That, that injures him. Yes. That injures him. Erase <laughs> this podcast. Erase everything. We just tore both of his ACL by it's speaking like, about him. He's like the Beetlejuice of the, of the NFL. Yes. He appears before you and gets hurt. I think I think because of that I would go Eckler just because yeah. I mean Barrett had a great year last year. Don't don't yeah. get me wrong, but but yeah, yeah Eckler, there's no so way he stays Eckler. healthy, right? Well, he stayed healthy last year. I, I'm hoping. I'm a Niners fan. Fingers crossed. You know, I, I, I've sent a packet of duct tape. I'm sure that'll that'll, that'll do it. <laughs> All right, two two more. Here's Zeke again. Zeke oh versus Chris Harris Jr. <sighs> are these the 2016 rankings or are these the 2021 rankings? <laughs> <laughs> 2021. Huh. Uh, I guess I'm still, I'm still, uh, I mean, Harris still plays at a high level, but he's older than, older than Bert. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with Harris. Yeah. He's not the same player he was, but I think he's still more variable than Zeke. I'd rather have this high level slot receiver, veteran leader yeah. type of guy than fumble, fumble, fumble. And then you get one first down. You go, rah, 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 rah. And then our, our last one, the last one is pretty easy. Yeah. Trey Hendrickson or Buddha Baker. I want, I like Buddha. I mean, Buddha is great. Yeah. Yep. Another so. positionless guy, like another like all-purposey guy. But yeah, I'm going to go with Buddha. All right. That was fun. That does it for the show. We're after 2 o'clock, so we're going to yep. sign off so I can go finish the book. I have to go finish tight end comments. Okay. Uh, thank you all for watching the Football Outsiders Radio Hour or listening to it on your favorite podcast app or watching us on YouTube. Uh, thank you to Mike and Brian for joining me today. Uh, the Almanac comes out Monday. Football Outsiders Almanac will hit 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 the site on Monday. Uh, we'll be back next Thursday, probably talking all about the Almanac. And uh, thank you all for joining uh, Football Outsiders Radio Hour. We'll sign off for this week. <laughs>